Now chapter 10 is the flip side to the discussion on the sovereignty of God or the message on predestination and election. It's the other side of it. Now you remember, I think, I hope you do, that we introduced a term called an antinomy. And an antinomy is, is this. It's two principles that run parallel, that are irreconcilable, and yet both are true. Two principles that run parallel, and they're irreconcilable. They never come together. They just don't match and yet both are true. The God-man concept, the theology of the God-man is an antinomy. How can there be perfect man and perfect God in one? See, that's, yet we know those both are true. He was as much man as if he'd never been God, and he was as much God as if he'd never been man. Now the sovereignty of God and the election of predestination And the free responsibility of man are antinomies. They are irreconcilable truths. Both are true. So that chapter 9 discusses the sovereignty of God and the election of grace and predestination. And chapter 10 then follows on its heels with a balance concerning the responsibility of man. Now we live in a world where Passing the blame is in vogue. If Johnny doesn't make a good grade at school, it's the teacher's fault, right? And if, if the uh, blacks receive more t- traffic citations in Dallas, it's because of racism in the police department, you know. And everybody likes to shift the blame on somebody else. Someone said, if a person, if you see a person smile when trouble comes, you know that he's thought of somebody he can place the blame on. So everybody wants to place the blame. Somebody wrote this little ditty. I went to a psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blooded my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here's what he dredged up from my self-conscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk, so it follows naturally that I'm always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that's why I suffer now from kleptomania. At three, I had the feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers, so it follows naturally that I poison all my lovers. But I am happy now that I've learned the lesson that this has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. I mean, we've got to find somebody to blame. Now, I'd like to come to chapter uh, 9 and, and, you know, and, and blame my sin and you know, blame the lostness of man upon God. Because that is an age-old practice. We'd rather blame God than assume responsibility ourselves. I mean, Adam said, this woman you gave me tempted me, you see. So he blamed God. So we'd blame God before we blame ourselves. And if a guy takes an automatic weapon and goes in and shoots up a building and kills everybody, the explanation to that is, well, he's a victim of a hostile society, and you and I are to blame. Oh, come on. God is responsible for my sin? 
Well, wait a minute. If I am lost, or if some person you know is lost, it's because they've made a willful decision to reject the gospel, and that's why they're lost. Eldon Trueblood says that the entire basis of human responsibility is currently undermined in our world. So that God has rejected Israel because Israel has rejected the gospel. And if your neighbor is not saved, it's not because he's not elect. If your neighbor is not saved, it's because he's rejected the gospel and for that reason only. Let's stop blaming somebody. I mean, let's stop blaming a bad church or a or hypocrites, or a bad business deal, a person is responsible for his own sin and own failure. Now that's what chapter 10 gets to, the responsibility of man. Now there's a message of chapter 10 that's woven into certain verses, and I just want you to look at them with me. We're just going, if you got the little note sheet, you might want to write those down, uh, these down. Verse 8 You'll just find like threads this message woven in to these various verses on the responsibility of man. Verse 8, this message that the gospel is in reach of all. Don't ever say, I never had a chance. Look at verse 8. But what does it say, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart? That is the word of faith which we are preaching. The message of God's grace is in reach of all. And you say, well, what about the person in Africa that's, you know, never had a preacher, never had a church, never heard the gospel? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But the principle, the truth still remains that the gospel is nigh, is within reach of all of us. Secondly, verse 11, the gospel is offered to all. Verse 11 says, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in Him shall not be disappointed, will not be put to shame. The gospel is offered to all. Verse 16, The gospel is not accepted by all. Verse 16, However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah said, The Lord has... Who ha- Lord, who has believed our report. Not everybody accepts the gospel. And the focus should be not on the folks who don't accept, but on the folks who do. That's where the focus of the scripture is. Not everybody accepts the gospel. Verse 21, the gospel continues to be offered in spite of unbelief. Now I want you to turn back to to Isaiah 65. Just hold your place here and turn back to Isaiah 65. I want to read you a remarkable uh, passage of Scripture beginning at verse 1 of Isaiah 65. And God is speaking and He says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. 
Um, let me say parenthetically, anything you know about God is because God has allowed you to know about Him. And nobody will ever know anything about God except that which God allows us to know about Him. And he said, I permitted them to know me when they did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation which did not call on my name. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. The gospel continues to be offered in spite of the fact that man has rejected it. Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on you the first time you heard the gospel? Is anybody here who believed the gospel the first time he heard it? I, I don't think so. It's been a, a marvelous and wonderful thing uh, in, in my own Christian experience that, that most of the people that I have led to the Lord in the last you know, year are people who have in advanced age who have heard the gospel over and over and over again and it just happened that I happened to be there at just the right time to share it with them. And, and isn't it wonderful that having heard the gospel and rejected it one time or ten times or whatever, God didn't give up on them. Somebody else did. Now, back to chapter 10 of Romans. Now, we'll just take this as quickly as we can, you know, some verses down through there. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Now, the them there is, you know, that's the Jew. These are the Jews. You say, I'm going to quit praying for him. It's too bad you've got that attitude because if you have a theology, listen to me, if you have a theology that, that has taken away your zeal for the lost, then your theology is an error. Now the Apostle Paul, having been a Jew, knew that now because the Jews rejected Christ, God had rejected them. But his prayer remained for them, for his zeal that they be saved was the same. I wonder if there's anybody tonight, how many of us tonight really have people for whom we have continued to pray constantly and continually. We've prayed for those people year after year and have not given up. Most of us, you know, I go into the prayer room, there's a strong temptation. Turn that wheel when I see that list, that name there, somebody we've been praying for a long time, just kind of go on past and get a new one, you know what I'm saying? Look at verse 2. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They, they have a zeal for the things of God, but they see no connection between the righteousness or the, or the, the things of God for which they have a zeal and, and Christ. It's the it's the cult mentality. Now, folks who are part of the cult group are people who have a tremendous zeal for God and they have a program of working in the midst of that zeal, but they see no connection between God and Christ. 
And you, walk, you drive down the street, you know, in the cities, and you see these guys sitting in the boiling heat selling flowers, and they do that all day long, and they, and they give that money to Reverend Moon, and they have this zeal for God. And these guys take two years out of their lives, and they ride up down the street door to door, and, you know, and, and, and minister, and they have a zeal for God, but they see no connection between God and Jesus, you see. And they see no connection between the righteousness for which they have a, yearn, a yearning and a zeal and, and the righteousness that comes through Jesus. For when a person works for his own righteousness, he doesn't submit to God's righteousness. Now I want us to jump down to verses 8 through 21, and there's some lines of thoughts that flow together. For example, in verses 8 through 9, this. Because the gospel is available, we are all responsible. Verse, read it, verse 8 through 10 with me. But what does it say? The Lord is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Now, is it something, do I have to some, do something difficult in order to have the righteousness of God? Is it, is it that I have to do something hard? Look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, I never, I'm aware of the fact that I'm preaching tonight primarily to Christian folks that are, you know, in this group. Maybe there's some um, on, watching on television. But the gospel is still the gospel is this, that the way a person comes to know the righteousness of God and and is saved is, is this, that he confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and he believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead. So that the good news is offered to everyone. He's offered his son to you and he's waiting for you to rule on his death and resurrection. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus is alive and you're willing to confess that the living Christ is Lord of your life, he said, you'll be saved. Um, this past week we had vacation Bible school. And, and you meet with those little kids and there's a tension. There's certain tension that goes on with me. Is, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to do something that will cause, you know, children to make a decision they don't know about. And yet, I, I want to be sure that I give the child the opportunity to, to make a decision. So there's a tension there. And I have a feeling that most of us make this much more difficult than it ought to be. And so here's a little child, if he understands that he's broken God's rules and he's sinned against God and he's willing to confess with his mouth, I'll let Jesus be my Lord, my boss, and I really believe down deep inside in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. You ask him, you know, do you believe Jesus died and rose again? One of them believe that. Now, 
If an adult does that and he can be saved, why can't a child do that and be saved? You know what I'm saying? That the gospel is the same for the child as as the adult, and it's just this simple. He's waiting on us to rule. Do we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and are we willing to confess Him as the Lord of our life? Because the gospel is available, we're responsible. Second, because the offer is universal, every person is responsible. Because the offer is universal, every person is responsible. Read verse 11 and following. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I had a close friend who, you, you know Mart Harden, he's preached for me several times. He was, uh, he was saved when he was about 28 years old. I was present as a young boy. He's a lot older than I. I was, I was present the night he got saved. He got saved and surrendered to preach the same night. It was a marvelous thing. And he, long story, but he, he, when, he, when he preached his first sermon, it was like Pentecost. It was just an amazing thing. And he had, a, he had this, his, his mother farmed this land, or had a man farming this land. He was often, had already graduated from college and was often in, in his business. And, and this man cheated his mother out of this business deal. And old Mark came home and was going to kill him. I mean, he was enraged and, and actually looked for this guy for a long time, tried to kill him. Then he got saved and this old guy got in the hospital in Wichita Falls, Texas, was dying. And Mart Harden went down there to, to witness to him. And Mart said he walked into his room and he said, first thing I got to do is I got to ask you to forgive me. He said, I've, I've hated you ever since you cheated my mother. And he said, at one time I would have killed you if I'd have found you. He said, I need you to forgive me. And the guy said, well, I do forgive you, Mart. He said, I want you to forgive me. And he went through that deal. And old Mark said he got out his New Testament and he started reading this passage of Scripture I'm reading. And he says, There is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all. In other words, everybody's saved the same way. And then he said, When I said, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, he said, About the time I got there, he said, The old guy just kind of raised up in his bed and said, I'm calling, I'm calling. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now because the offer is universal, every person is responsible. Whoever will believe, receive, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, to him he gives eternal life. Now most of us have heard more gospel in 45 minutes than the rest of the world then then the majority of the world will hear in a lifetime. And we walk around neck deep in the gospel. And it's almost a shame, really, that, that there are people on every street of Durant who have heard this over and over and over again. And all that's necessary is just call on the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. Because that offer is to them, they're responsible. Three. Because rejection 
is predictable. The unsaved are responsible. Now, have you ever thought, has it ever occurred to you how much Jesus must have wanted to water down the demand of the gospel? Now, there's nobody ever loved anybody like Jesus loved people. And when these people would come to Jesus, the rich young ruler, for example, the scripture says that he looked on him and loved him. And there was something special about this young man. And I have a feeling that because Jesus was totally human, there must have been that that moment when he wished he could have watered down the gospel just a little bit so this person could come and follow him. And I suppose that there is a tendency in every person to try to make the demand of the gospel palatable enough so that a person can swallow it. And sometimes we kind of, you know, kind of gloss gloss over it a little bit and we, we don't really declare the whole truth. Here is the whole truth. There is only one way to God, and that way to God is that we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart that Jesus is alive. Now, I went out to witness one time, and I went to this guy, and I was pastor of a little church, and I was in the seminary, and he, everybody had worked on him, and I went out because I felt like everybody's expecting me to go out. You know, I didn't really care about, I wasn't too excited about it because he, He's pretty hard to witness to. He ran a big old turkey farm. And I went out there and talked to him a little bit. That's what he said. He said, I'd like to become a Christian. He said, I'd like to be saved. And he said, I, I want to be a Christian. But he said, I want to tell you right away that I'm not going to be able to be in church. He said, I don't have any desire to go to church. He said, I don't have any desire to give my money. He said, I work hard for it. He just went down a long list of things. And then he said, now I'd like to be a Christian if I don't have to do any of those things. And I said to him, I said, I'd like for you to be a Christian. But what you're telling me is you want to be a Christian on your terms. And your terms don't involve Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life. And I know Dr. Parkson and I have had long, friendly, and happy discussions about this. And, and he preached on this. And, and he and I are, the, you know, uh, together in our theology on it. There is, you know, the, the debate that goes on. How can you be saved? How can Jesus be your Savior if you're not willing for Him to be your Lord? So we don't water it down. It's the same. It just... It's there. The only message that God anoints is the message of the Lordship of Jesus. Look at verses 18 and 19. But I say, surely you've never heard, they've never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses said, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding. Will I anger you? You know what he's saying? He's saying, well, these folks, there are some folks that have never heard. They didn't have a chance. 
that brings us to the question, what about the people who have never heard the gospel? Are they responsible? I want to give you four incontrovertible principles, and I want you to jot these down. Number one, everybody has some light. Everybody has some light. Let me read you something from the 19th chapter of, from the 19th Psalm. Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of the Lord, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there mere words. Their voice is not heard, and their utterance to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun. He goes on to describe the way God speaks to the world through nature. Now, we, you, you, sometime when you get a chance, you read chapter 1 of Romans, and it says that every man has enough evidence of God in the creation around him and in his own conscience that he is without excuse. Everybody has some light. The gospel is available to every person. All right, second, light obeyed increases light. Light obeyed increases light. If a person obeys or is responsive to the light he has and he, and he exercises faith in the knowledge that he has, he gets more light. First, Chapter of Romans says that we go from faith to faith. When a person responds in faith to the light he has, the result of that is he gets more light. Now let's suppose that some pagan goes out at night and he looks out into the starry heavens that are declaring the glory of God. And in, his, in this creation around him, he is aware of the fact that there's something bigger than man out there. And something deep inside of him, in his own conscience, communicates the fact that there's more in this world than just man. And if he responds in faith to that, I'm absolutely convinced that God will get the gospel to him, even if he has to crash land a missionary's plane and parachute one down in there. For a person when he responds to the light he has, God gives him more light, I guarantee that. The 10th chapter of, of Acts is an example of that. For this centurion was a man who prayed every day and he responded to the light that he had and the result was that God sent Peter there with the gospel. Light obeyed increases light. Third principle, light refused increases darkness. Now I say to my Sunday school class, the most dangerous thing you can do any day of the week is to come to church on Sunday. That's the most dangerous thing you can do. For when you come to church on Sunday or a lost person comes to church on Sunday, 
and he hears the gospel. He's not better off if he hears the gospel and refuses. I mean, he, 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 he doesn't have some information that he can leave with that he didn't have before, and that helps him out in the long term. If a person comes and hears the gospel and he refuses, he's worse off than when he came. Because light refused increases darkness. So that the first time you hear the gospel is the best time for you to be saved. Principle number four. We are judged by the light we have. We are judged by the light we have. Unto whomsoever much is given, much shall be demanded. And I don't understand all there is to know, I'm sure, about the degrees of of blessing in heaven and punishment in hell. But I do believe this, that the person who goes to hell from Durant, Oklahoma will suffer somehow a more severe consequence of his disbelief than the person who goes to hell from the jungle of Africa. For we are judged by the light we have. All right, there's a final thought, and then I want to give three things. I want, before I say something, I want to say this. The final thought is this, verses 20 through 21, because God is faithful... Man is responsible. Because God is faithful, man is responsible. Now I see three truths that emerge from this, and I want you to get these, please, and then we're through. Number one, a Christian is responsible. A Christian is responsible to pray and share. Now, let me just get kind of up next to the corn here just a minute and hold there for a while. If a Christian is responsible to pray for the lost and to share the gospel with the lost, how do you think God feels about the fact that you don't do that? How do you think God feels about your rebellion if you are not praying for the lost and are sharing with the lost. It's amazing how many folks will, you know, you go out and witness, you know, you talk to somebody and they'll say, you know, it's, it, it's just discouraging to me that I've lived in this town for 40 years and you're the first person who's ever shared the gospel with me. Now, I'm not sure that's always correct, but sometimes it is. Recently I was in a beauty, not me, but this is a quote. Recently I was in a beauty shop having my hair trimmed. It was crowded, every sink and dryer filled and women waiting. The man cutting my hair looked up and said, Do you all, did you all know this girl is the dean of women at the college? One lady lifted her hair dryer and said, I don't believe it, she's too young. Oh no, I have a giant of a God in me. He and I do pretty well, I laughed. This is beauty shop talk. Another woman looked out from under her hair dryer. Are you a Jesus freak? A Jesus freak? No, not exactly, but Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's my friend. He laughs and cries with me. And there in the beauty shop on an ordinary afternoon was a brief Jesus rap session. The next morning while sitting behind my desk, the phone rang. Is this Rebecca? 
You don't know me, but I was one of the ladies in the beauty shop yesterday. I'm the mother of four little girls. I'm Catholic, and I never heard anyone talk about Jesus the way you did. Could you tell me how to find Him? I want my children to know Him like that too. So from one suburb to another, with a woman I didn't even know, I shared Jesus. Now, it's one thing to come up on Monday night and, 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 and take a, you know, and eat a sandwich and take a name and go out and knock on doors. That's one thing. We're not doing that at all. It's another thing to have a lifestyle that feels responsible and, jo- and, and feels the joy of sharing Jesus at every opportunity. Now, folks are responsible if they're lost, but you're responsible to share the gospel with them. And if they go to hell, somehow you and I are going to have to answer for that. All right, secondly, a non-Christian is responsible to do something with a message he heard. He can't just put it in his pocket and say, well, I'm going to deal with that later. A non-Christian who is here tonight, who is watching on television, has got to do something with the fact that we've just read some scripture and talked about how to be saved. Got to do something with that. And third, God is is responsible to do exactly as He promised. I'm going to turn this off. God is responsible to do exactly as He promised. Now, God will do that. Now, I was walking back into the, um, into the auditorium this morning. A little boy stopped me in the hall, aisleway right here. And he's, he's, he's visiting. He had his Bible under his arm. He's visiting with his grandmother this week. And he said, could, could I talk with you just a minute? And I said, well, sure. And he said, um, when I was nine years old, he said, um, my friend accepted Christ as his Savior. And he said, I know, I, I, I said, I, I wanted to, I, I knew my, my friend was going to go to heaven, so he said, I wanted to go to heaven too. So he said, I went down and I went forward. This is a little kid about 12 years old talking to me here. And he said, I went forward and he said, I, I went and got baptized, but he said, I wasn't saved. He said, I just went forward because my friend did. And so he said, can you tell me how to be saved? And so I put my arm around him. His name was Charlie. I said, now, Charlie, let me tell you something. Don't feel like you're all alone in that because a lot of us did the same thing. I, I shared my little testimony that my sister went forward, so I went forward. And then, then I just, you know, with my arm around, we stand right up there in that aisle. I just talked to him a little bit, read, quoted these scriptures I just quoted. And then I said, now, Charlie, would you like to pray and confess Jesus as your Lord and Master and, and ask him to come into your life? And, and do you really believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? He said, yes. And I said, now, let me, let me ask you this question before we pray. I said, if you 
pray that, do you think God will be true to what He said He would do? If you, if you call on Jesus to save you, do you believe it? Do you really believe that God will do what He said? That's the issue, you see. Because if we call on Him, believing His Word, do we really believe that He's faithful to do what He promised? That's the only way we can be saved. The only way we can be saved is to know that God will do what He said He would do. And I trust Him to do that. And then we pray. And when we finished praying, I said, Charlie, you feeling better about this deal? He said, yeah, I feel a little better. I hope he's watching tonight. He's going to be here this week. And I said, now, Charlie, we're not going to trust on our feelings, are we? We're going to trust the fact of the faithfulness of God to forgive and to save when we call on him. I want you to call on Him tonight if you've never been saved. You may be watching by television. You may be just like old Charlie. You may have gone down to the front somewhere in some church or when you was a little kid you got sprinkled. But you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and God is waiting for your verdict concerning the resurrection of Jesus and what you think about Him. He's waiting for you to say, Jesus, I trust you. I let you be my Lord. I call on you to save. Would you like to do that? Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray now that you'll help us to assume the responsibility of this critical moment and to know that the only way we can be saved is to call on Jesus, call on the Lord, trust Him. And I pray for those who may be listening or watching, or those of us who are right here in this room. I ask Your Holy Spirit to help us to see where we stand with You and help us to face honestly that vision of ourselves for I pray in Jesus name and for his sake now there are three invitations is there somebody here tonight who'd like to come and say I've never been saved I never really have I want to be saved today I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus to come in my heart I'm going to give my heart and life to him maybe you need to come tonight to place your life in the church or recommit yourself to God you got to do something with this message that's why we have an invitation what are you going to do about it while we stand to sing we invite you to come